0: The scripture for this morning's sermons comes from Acts chapter 10. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you a few few feet away from where I often am with you with worship. Um, I'm really excited about this topic, uh, hospitality. Um, It feels really appropriate to me to be talking about hospitality here at All Souls. It was really only... A little more than two years ago, that my family, we moved back from living in Bosnia for 11 years. And here I was, a, a foreigner and a stranger and an alien indicator. And you guys, All Souls, was so hospitable to our family and continues to be and has made this transition to a new world for our family um, an adventure and really fun. So it's just great to be talking about this topic with you guys. And it's something that's been a part of my life. Um, all my life. I come from a very large family. We have eight kids in my family. Um, I was the second oldest of the eight. And so when you have 10 kids in the house, you don't even know if there's someone else there. So hospitality kind of comes a little easier. And so we always had people in and out of our house. I I would wake up in the morning to go to school, and my friend would be sitting at the kitchen table waiting for me to wake up. We never left our doors locked, and so he'd just come in and wait for me. Um, I remember one time I was at Georgia Tech uh, studying. My father was a pastor out west of Atlanta in Douglasville, and so my mom said, why don't you bring some of your fraternity brothers to church with you and, and to Easter lunch afterwards? So I brought 40, and we just set up tables outside in the driveway and just you know, had a great time. One of the, one of the guys lives in Decatur. We, we get together with some business guys every Friday morning. He still talks about that time we brought 40 people over for Easter lunch. Um, so hospitality is something that I've experienced, uh, I've enjoyed, has changed me, and really, I feel, helps me to better understand who God is. But I feel like we, we've skipped one part of our conversation about hospitality, and that's that it should come with some kind of a warning label. So I'd like to give you that warning label. Uh, Beware of hospitality, because you might find yourself in strange places with strange people eating some strange food. (laughs) Because hospitality, it's kind of dangerous. Uh, I experienced this firsthand. uh, Year 2000, in the summer, I was in the country of Albania, um, across the water from Italy, And um, it was only a few years after Albania had gone from one of the most closed countries of the world to being open to the world. And I found myself in this village in the Southern part of Albania with a couple people being served a meal meal by this family in this village where we were. In In this village, there wasn't electricity. There wasn't running water. They had to walk down the hill to the creek to bring the water up. There was no oven in the house. They cooked the, the bread and the food on the fire outside. And yet, they had only met us the day before, but welcomed us in and made us spread. They literally killed the fattened lamb uh, to serve us. And we're sitting there having the meal, and, and the, the the matriarch of the family brings the food out. Um, and I noticed my plate was a little bit different than, than other people's. So I turned to the student translator who was with us, Albanian, and said, why, "Why is my plate different?" He goes, "You're the guest of honor. Uh, I was kind of the leader of this little group. They'd never met an American before, so I was the guest of honor. So I kind of moved things around on my plate. And there, on my plate, was half of the lamb's head, um, just kind of split right down the middle, um, with you know half the brain and one eyeball staring up at me. I'm thinking, guest of honor." so you have to beware uh, of hospitality because you might find yourself in strange places with strange people eating some strange food. And yet, here's why I think hospitality is worth it because I learned more at that meal in Albania than I did in a thousand meals in my own home or a thousand meals on my own. I think this this call to hospitality is a call to break out of the normal, the common, to embrace that which may seem strange so we can find something beautiful. I think God wants to use hospitality in our lives in that way and surprise us with his own hospitality. Uh, One of the movies that we love as a family is School of Rock. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Dewey Finn, played by Jack Black, uh, is trying to whip these private school kids together into a rock band because he believes rock is important. <laughs> and he says this, one great concert, one great rock show can change the world. And I think he's on to something there, but I would like to adjust it for our conversation today. I think that one great meal can change the world. And hospitality is the open door to that meal. So let's jump into our story here. We're in Acts chapter 10. We start in verse 9. We have Peter, the apostle. He's in a town called Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, part of Israel, Palestine. He's he's staying. He's, He's a guest at another Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, who is taking care of him and welcoming him. And he... At 12 o'clock, as any good Jewish man would do, went up on the roof to pray at 12 o'clock. And as maybe many of us might do, in the middle of his prayer, he realizes he's hungry. He starts thinking about food. And so he's the guest there. He's the guest of honor. And so he calls down, hey guys, I'm hungry. And everyone starts moving around because the apostle is hungry. He's our guest. And they start fixing him a food fit for a guest. Now, in Jewish culture, food was more than just the thing you ate so you didn't die. Food had this deeper meaning. Think about the Israelites traveling through the desert, finding manna on the ground. This manna that kept them alive, reminded them that God remembered them. He loved them and he provided for them. Think about the sacrificial system they had, where they took the first fruits from the tree, the first grain from the field, the first... um, lamb from the flock and they would sacrifice it to God as a a symbol of God's provision, but also to make holy that food that God had provided. Think about their festivals. They had so many different festivals. Passover, one of my favorites, uh, where they would remember that God had provided for them and led them out of Egypt and given them freedom. Food was not just something to keep you alive. Food had meaning. And then think about the laws they had of what was clean food and what was unclean food. And there were even laws about how to prepare that food so that it would remain clean, making sure all the blood was out of the meat before you prepared it. And so food was very meaningful uh, to the Israelite people. Check out this quote from um, the New Testament milieu. It says, "Uh, food was not a mere physical necessity, but was associated most closely with God the Jew regarded his food as holy because it belonged to God. That is why the first fruits of the harvest was dedicated to God as representative of the whole harvest. Therefore, a meal was very important and one had to handle the food with great respect. Food matters. So down there in in, in Simon's house, the the family, maybe some of the, the servants and helpers were trying to get the meal together for Peter to send him a meal up. And out of nowhere, God sends a meal down for Peter out of heaven. A crazy moment here, right? You're praying, oh, I'm hungry. Next thing you know, you're in a trance and a sheet's coming down on, out of heaven with animals on it. Now, I don't know if he could see through the sheet and could guess that this was more than a snack or did you have to wait till the sheet came down low enough? He could see over it and suddenly he sees animals, every kind of animal from all four corners of the earth. He just mentions a few here, right? He mentions uh, reptiles and birds of the air. One thing about reptiles is that they're unclean animals. The Jews should not eat. In fact, the feast that God had spread, this sheet representing a tablecloth that God spreading out before his apostle, is full of food that Peter would never touch because it didn't fit what we just read as clean and holy food. And so Peter says, no way, God, when God says to kill and eat. Now, we eat just about anything today, right? Somebody eats everything. So let me try to help you to get into Peter's space here for a moment. You're sitting there trying to pray. You feel hungry. Next thing you know, you're in a trance. A sheet comes down and you peek over the top and on it are cats, dogs, horses, bats, cockroaches. And God says, lunchtime. Are you with me? And you're thinking, God, what is going on? Am I supposed to make some cat burgers here or some hot dogs or see what I did there? Um, is this like a bowl of, of cockroach crunch for breakfast or what's, what's going on here, God? I mean, this is, this, is, this is not okay. And so you say, no way. This is too strange. This is too different. This is too outside of my boundaries. And Peter says, by no means. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. God serves a meal and Peter rejects his hospitality because it's strange. Maybe Peter thinks that God's trying to test him, trying to say, see if he's really faithful. But what God is trying to do, God is trying to prevent Peter's spirituality and spiritual fervor from keeping him from understanding God's heart for the world. He's trying to keep Peter's spiritual fervor from blocking him from being in sync with God's heart. And so three times the sheet comes down. Three times God tells Peter, kill and eat. Three times Peter says no. And three times God says, don't call what I made clean common. Now I want to pause for a minute here because this is a very significant passage in, well, first off in the book of Acts. It takes up 66 verses for the whole story. It's probably the biggest story in the book of Acts. It's a huge story in all of Luke and Acts, Luke's whole story of Jesus and the early church. It's a huge moment in the early church's history and where we find ourselves right now. And there's two, at least two things going on here. One is that God is setting his people free from his instructions regarding food in the Old Testament. He's saying, before I had said, don't eat this, but now you can eat it. Why is that important? Because food is important to his people. And food was beginning to block the communion between different types of people that God was wanting to bring in to his family. It's also important because it means God was saying bacon is okay. <laughs> God opens the door for bacon. Now, this shouldn't have been... Completely surprising to Peter because in Mark 7, Jesus had said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of it. And there were these hints along the way. But Peter, so focused on following God's instruction, had missed it. So God is declaring out of heaven to his apostle, leader of the church, with a vision, things are changing. But there's a second thing that maybe is a little more applicable to us. God is also rejecting the cultural additions that his people had added on to his instructions. He's knocking down walls that they had built in an attempt to follow his law that are preventing them from being the kind of people that they need to be. Now we're getting a little more personal and close to home, right? See, God says, he comes to you, he says, okay, guys, No more bacon. Bacon is unclean. And you say, okay, God, I love you. I like bacon, but I love you. I will not eat bacon. The next day you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, those Gentiles over there, those Romans, those strangers, those other people, them, they eat bacon. So I probably shouldn't go over to their house for dinner because what if they cook their beans and bacon? Bacon. And I'm eating and then I eat some bacon and then I disobey God. Well, also, I, what, I probably shouldn't bring them to my house either because, you know, those sneaky Gentiles, Romans, strangers, others, they might sneak some bacon into the meal when I'm not looking and now I'm breaking God's law. Oh yeah, and and, and if I ran into one of those Gentiles, Romans, strangers, others, and and they accidentally touched me, I probably should run home and wash my arm and my hands because maybe they had bacon for breakfast, still had the grease on their hand, and they got it on me, and then I might touch my lip and eat bacon, and then I've, I've broken the law. Oh yeah, and I, I probably shouldn't shop at their market like three days before their big bacon festival because if I do that, I might, the money that I spend on their shop might be used to buy bacon, which they would eat, and then I'm contributing to their paganism. Maybe it's just best if I never talk to a Gentile Roman stranger, other, them, anymore. Now this may seem funny, but this is actually what happened with God's people. They wouldn't shop in the market of the Gentiles three days before their festivals. because They didn't want to contribute to their worship. They wouldn't enter into a Gentile's house. Wouldn't eat with them. Wouldn't leave them alone in the in the entryway of their home, lest they touch something and then they would have to make, you know, purify it and make it clean. So these, these laws that God had given to keep his people safe had become these boundary walls, preventing them from being the kind of people that God wanted them to be, connecting with the people God wanted to bring into his family. It was a wall between them and the stranger. It prevented them from being hospitable, from being in strange places with strange people, eating strange food. And we do the same today. We build these boundaries around us to keep us safe. It feels safe at home with only people that are like us, that are used to being there. And so we build these walls around it. In our safety, we feel comfortable, right? Right? But we also miss out on connecting with those people that God is trying to put in our life. And we begin to other them and call them common and unclean and strange when God is calling us to open our doors to them. And so Peter sees the sheep come down. He says, no way, God, and rejects God's hospitality. Well, let's break away from Peter for a minute because the story is actually not about Peter. It's actually not about food because Luke starts the story in verse 1 with a guy named Cornelius. He is our stranger in the story. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's in charge of a hundred soldiers. He's from Italy brought in to suppress and oppress and control the Jewish people who are rebelling against the Roman rule. He is an oppressor. He is an occupier. And yet that's not his whole story. He's actually someone who is deeply spiritual and is seeking after God. He's praying during the hours of the day. He is giving away of his wealth to the community of God there in the city. Everyone speaks highly of him. And so God sends him an angel and the angel says, go find Peter in Joppa, bring him to you and he will explain to you what to do. And so, and so Cornelius takes Two of his servants and one of his devout soldiers sends them to Peter. And in God's wonderful timing, they make the 30 mile journey, show up at the gate of Simon the Tanner's house as Peter's sitting on the roof, perplexed because a sheet just came down out of heaven. And we as the reader are stuck here saying, what's gonna happen when the zealous, Jewish, clean, fervent, follower of Jesus meets the men from the Gentile stranger occupier other what will Peter do? Peter has a decision to make hospitality or no that's really our question here isn't it that we're looking at this summer hospitality yes or no what does it mean and do we walk into it? I want to I want to address something real quick before we go further, because I think this is a legitimate concern. One of the reasons why we have boundaries and build walls around ourselves is because boundaries are good. Good boundaries are good. And we worry that if we spend time, if we welcome in certain people, they will have a negative influence on us. Now, I am the father of teenagers And I do care who my teenagers hang out with because, you know, I know that the people you're around affect you, right? And didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, bad company corrupts good morals? So there is something there and you're like, okay, well, if I'm around these strangers, others, won't that affect me? And this is the logic that the Jewish people used. But I think the consequences of using that as an excuse to reject hospitality is too high to not open our door, to err on the side of opening our door. And here's why. When we lose hospitality, when we lose that interaction with the stranger, we lose the opportunity to understand God's surprising hospitality. For us, And what happens is here we are desiring to practice the way of Jesus. But if we don't practice hospitality, there's no way we can practice the way of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus was accused of? He ate with sinners and tax collectors. That was their big argument against him. Look at the people this guy hangs out with. There's no way he can be who he says he is, right? And yet Jesus did eat with tax collectors and sinners. He did eat with them, the them that we needed to separate ourselves from. So how can we practice the way of Jesus if we don't practice the way of Jesus? Now we all have those thems, in our life, right? Maybe they're those who have a dict- different doctrinal stance than you do. Maybe it's a different political persuasion. Maybe it's they come from a different nationality. Maybe they look different. Maybe they think different about the world. Maybe they have different cultural habits. Maybe they eat different foods. Maybe they have different standards for how they're trying to raise their family. But whatever there is, there is this them and we can't practice the way of Jesus unless we begin to open our door in hospitality towards them. What did Jesus say in Matthew 25 when he was talking about the sheep and goats? What was one of the the big determining factors between the sheep and the goats? He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you let me in. So if we don't practice hospitality, we can't practice the way of Jesus. But I want to turn this around and look at it from another angle. Because if we don't practice hospitality, we miss out on the surprise that God has for us. We miss out on the surprise that God had for us. Something that I noticed for the first time studying this passage, there's a a Greek word here that's used four times in what we read. And it's the word that's used for lodging, or guest. So at the end when it says Peter invited them as guest, it's this word. Xenozo. Uh, and it has two meanings in the dictionary. One is to show hospitality, to receive as a guest, or to entertain. That's what we kind of expect from it. But note the second meaning. To cause a strong psychological reaction through introduction of something new or strange, to astonish or surprise. What if God has called us to hospitality because he wants to get the stranger into our comfort area so he can surprise us, so he can astonish us, so he can shock us out of our normal and common life and say, look at who I am and what I care about and what I have for you. Because we build these walls to be safe, but we insulate ourselves from the work that God wants to do in and through us in the world. And he's calling us out. He's calling us out with our hospitality. He's sending sheets down from heaven, sending people to our gate saying, will you welcome them in? Because I have a surprise for you. One of the great things about living in Bosnia was always being around different people. We, we were always around people that were different than us. And one of the traditions we started was on Christmas. Um, we would do, you know, Christmas morning, we'd open presents and Christmas night before Christmas Eve, we'd have something with some friends that, are, that work with us. But Christmas evening, for probably five or six years in a row, we had the same family over for dinner every time. Family that we were very close with, uh, it was a Muslim family, and we would have Christmas dinner with them every year. If, you, if your Christmas is getting stale and you're having trouble understanding the true meaning of Christmas, why don't you try celebrating it with someone who doesn't know Christmas? It's surprising. It opens your eyes. We also worked with students while we were in Bosnia. And so, uh, similar to here, um, there was a lot of concern about offending other people when we talk about what we really think or believe. Now, in their case, they were scared there was going to be another war. Because there had been a war between uh, the uh, Croats and the Serbs and the Bosniaks who come from Orthodox Catholic and Muslim backgrounds. And so if we just don't talk about what we think, then we we all can get along and we won't shoot each other, was kind of the idea. We thought it was what we think inside and who we are in our soul is too important to not talk about. So we tried to create an environment where we could do that, and we called it soul food. So we'd pick some theme of food, whether sometimes we did Chinese food or Mexican food. Or soul food one time, which was my favorite. Um, and we would invite them, invite them over, and we'd all sit around the table. And we're all coming from people are coming from Muslim backgrounds, atheist, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, unsure. And we would eat the food and talk about deep questions about our soul. It was so much fun. Never had a meal that wasn't surprising. All the things that we learned when we got around together. Or I just think about our church family in Bosnia that, um, you know, I mentioned the different factions that had fought together, but at our church, we would have uh, someone from a Serbian background lead worship, someone from a Croat background preach the sermon and someone, former Muslim, serve the communion. I tell you, you learn something and are surprised by scripture when you're reading it with people from different backgrounds. And the thing is, we have a chance to do that here as well. Join one of the small groups. My favorite thing about our small group is how different all of us are in our small group—age, background, thinking—always surprising. Because you never know what God will do when you accept His invitation to hospitality. Kind of like that time I was in Albania. Uh, we were there as part of a um, a mission that lasted multiple years to show a film about Jesus' life in all these villages through the whole country that some who had never seen a film before, many of who had never met uh, anyone outside of their country before. And so we came into this village with donkeys and like film equipment on the backs of the donkeys, no plan of what to eat, no plan of where to stay and just walked in and said, hello, we're here. Immediately, beautiful Albanian hospitality. They welcome us in, give us a place to sleep, feed us, take care of us. And so there we were at that, at that family's house, sitting here looking at my half, half sheep's head. Everyone staring at me, guest of honor. I'll just let you know it's a little bit mushy. My... Uh, The guy that was with me, the translator, the student was like, you're going to finish that? I was like, I think I've eaten enough to show my cultural openness to strangers. He's like, (laughs) put the whole thing in and the eyeball too. There we go. All right. Um, But often we get in these conversations and he's translating for us, but then the conversation takes off and and we kind of step in the background and just let the student, this translator keep talking. And that happened that night and probably 15, 20 minutes they were talking and the students really animated and, and the guy who, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough living in a village growing your own food and he's kind of, his furrowed brow like this and, and kind of straight face and I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? What's going on? So I had to wait till the meal was over to find out what they had been talking about. As we are leaving, I asked him, uh, so what was the conversation? He says, oh, I was explaining the gospel to him. So well, that's, that's amazing. How did you get on that topic? He said, well, the man, the man said that two weeks ago he had a dream that we were gonna to come to the village. And so he asked me why we were there. And so I told him that Jesus had sent us. He said he's gonna think about it overnight. The next morning, the man puts his faith in Christ, including his whole family. Um, by the end of three days, half the village had put their faith in Christ because you never know what happens when the door opens to hospitality. And I was I was the stranger in that scenario, just sitting back and watching God work and surprising us. But here's the thing, you don't have to travel to Albania to do that. Like Clarkston is like 15 minutes away, right? And God has brought people from every tribe and tongue and nation to us. Here we are in Celebrating 4th of July this weekend, and one of the beauties of America, the blessing of America, is that we're not all the same. That God is doing an amazing work in our day. Your neighbor, your classmate, your colleague at work are people that maybe at one point you might have considered strange to us from their background, but God has brought them together to one place. And maybe this begins by, like I said, joining one of the home groups. Maybe it's walking across the street and talking to your neighbor. Maybe your first step is just inviting someone else from church over to your home and working your way up. Do you know there's 900,000 international students that study in America from countries that we can't even get into and that 80% of them report when they leave that they were never welcomed into an American home. When I hear that, I think, Man, what a missed opportunity of being surprised by God's hospitality. So here's Peter standing at the gate. God wasn't going to let him miss this one. He had told him by the spirit in his spirit, don't judge too harshly, say yes and go. And Peter welcomes him in as his guest. The next day, some of Peter's the brothers from uh, some of the believers from Joppa go with Peter to Cornelius' house. Now this is a big deal. You don't do this. You don't go into a Gentile's house. He goes in. Cornelius says, "Well, God told me to go get you. Now what do you want to tell me?" And he shares the gospel with them. And it's not just Cornelius. Cornelius invited like his friends, his cousins, his uncles, his aunts. Everybody's there. All the neighbors. And they hear Peter share with them the story of what Jesus had done. And they say, yes. And the surprising hospitality of God comes to these people who were strangers and foreigners and outside. And they come to know him. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and does what he did at Pentecost, which Peter needed one more sign to say, these are not different. These These are part of what I'm doing. And they come to know him as well. And the spirit comes and Peter starts baptizing people left and right. And next thing you know, Peter, who two days earlier is trying to make it through his prayer time, hungry in a trance saying, no, God, I don't want to eat the stuff on the sheet is sitting at a feast at a Roman centurion's house. Food is covering the tables. I'm imagining food that he maybe wouldn't even come close to two days ago, sitting with Gentiles. He never would have sat with who are now his brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing a meal. You see, one great meal can change the world. It changed the world for that Albanian family. It changed the world for this Roman family. And it can change the world for us as we open our hearts and our door to the hospitality that God has and we accept his invitation. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? God's hospitality. Because who are we To God. Who were we to God, should I say? Were we not strangers and aliens and separate from Him, separate from the life of God? And when Jesus came down to be a guest on our earth, we rejected Him because He was strange and other to the point that He was put on the cross. We never could have imagined that through his death on the cross, he would make for us a meal that would change the world. This is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you so that we who are strangers and foreigners and other, we are the them that is brought in that gets to be a part of this beautiful family of God, that gets to come to this table and eat together. Not, it doesn't matter where we come from, what we look like, What is our background? Only that He calls us in and welcomes us to His table. See, one great meal can change the world. And when we open ourselves up to the invitation of God, we find ourselves surprised by how gracious and beautiful He is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that when we were strangers, an outcast, when we rejected you you didn't give up on us but you loved us to the end even given your life for us so as you come to this table we come as those who were outside who are now part of the family and we ask that you would give us the nourishment we need from it to be those who would welcome others from the outside in as well we pray this in your name amen